All right, let's start our first reading. Um, we're picking up right after Brand mentioned that he had something he needed to tell Miss Bixby. It was the last day that, or it was the last day they weren't seeing her again. And it says um, on page 36, the truth is Miss Bixby is sick and she's leaving. The whole truth is I have something I need to tell her, something she already knows, but I feel like I have to say it out loud in person. So Bran needs to see his teacher, uh, which means somehow or another, they have to figure out how to see her even though she's gone. I think this story is very timely because on Friday, I didn't realize that that would be the last time I'd see you guys. Um, I, I didn't realize that on Monday we'd be doing school online. So um, I hope we enjoy this together. It seems very timely. I think we can make a lot of connections to what is going on with us. But um, yeah, I think this is something special. So let's pick up on page 37 with Topher. Date. Friday, May 7th. Time, 0730. Location, outer perimeter of Fox Ridge Elementary School, just south of the bus drop-off. And, unfortunately, behind some bushes with potentially poisonous berries and prickly thorns. Special Agent Sakata and I snuck behind enemy lines. The drop zone is clear. No sign of enemy patrols. Agent Sakata is armed with a multi-toolbox, complete with pliers, unworkable scissors, and a Phillips head screwdriver. I have my sketchbook, don't leave home without it, and a regulation-sized box of raisins. The raisins are almost gone. The air is sharp, with the smell of diesel and mown grass. We're already five minutes behind schedule. Special Agent Walker is late. Where is he? How am I supposed to know? Agent Sakata answers. What's his bus number? I don't know that either. But you know everything. I don't know what bus he rides. I've never been to his house. I shrug, letting Steve off the hook. It's true. Neither of us have been to Bran's house. Not because we wouldn't go, only because we've never been invited. He's been to both of our houses tons of times in the past year. Mostly mine. We aren't allowed to run on Steve's carpet because we might mess up the vacuum lines. So we don't go there much. And my parents are usually too busy to care what we're up to. Bran says he can't invite us over because his father doesn't like guests. It seems like every group of friends has one kid whose house you never go to. Plus, I've heard a few things about Mr. Walker. I know about the accident and everything. I guess I'm not in a hurry to get an invite. If he's not here in the next five minutes, we should just give up, Steve says, looking at me nervously. What do you mean, abort the mission and go to school? Agent Sakata shrugs. I peer out from the hedge, spreading the branches carefully. It wouldn't pay to get stuck by a thorn and bleed out here on the school lawn before this operation even got underway. It's business as usual out on the ridge. The convoy is dropping off load after load, platoons of half-dead zombies marching in line, filling through the blue double doors 
in a shuffle step. I see lots of faces I recognize, but not the one I'm looking for. Special Agent Walker is M.I.A. I told you this wasn't a good idea, Steve says. I gave him a dirty look, but he's probably right. This mission is already fritzled. That's a brand word, but we all use it. It's one of the words we use so we don't get in trouble for using other words. If something is really fritzled, we say it's gefragt, which Steve says is just the German word for asked. But it certainly sounds like something that is screwed up beyond repair. We aren't all the way to gefragt yet, but if Bran doesn't show up soon, we will be. It wasn't supposed to go down like this. We had a plan. The plan was for Saturday. The plan was to lie to our parents and say we were all meeting each other at the park to play frisbee. The plan was not to skip school. Of course, that was before we intercepted a key bit of intel between two high-ranking officials. Intel that called for a revised plan. I think I might vomit. Steve says, holding his stomach, though I know it's just for dramatic effect. I've only seen him blow chunks once, and that was coming off the whip around at the state fair. Pull it together, agent! I slap him on the back and use my tough guy voice, even though I feel the same. Neither of us has ever skipped school. It's against regulations. We could be court-martialed, thrown in the brig, taken before the principal. If found guilty, we might even be executed. At least Steve might. His parents are pretty strict, like marine drill sergeants, Catholic nun strict, you know. I don't want to think about what would happen if they catch him skipping school. There's still time, he says shakingly. The buses are still unloading. We can make it before the tardy bell and just forget the whole thing. I grimace and show my last handful of raisins. Shove my last handful of raisins in my mouth, chewing them determinedly and thinking I probably should have rationed them just in case we get stranded deep in enemy territory or something. Besides, we can't go without Brand. He's bringing the blanket, Steve adds. It's true. Agent Walker has the blanket. Our loadouts were issued the night before. Brand was in charge of the blanket. I would bring the map, the directions, and the paper plates. Agent Sakata had the music. We would all contribute the funds necessary to complete the rest of the mission, which explains the big bag of change weighing down my backpack. Most of the stuff we really needed we still had to acquire on the way. That was the plan. We can do without the blankets, I say. The blanket wasn't a necessity. Uh, We could sit on the grass if we needed to. Agent Walker was the necessity. This was all his idea, after all. Brand's idea, though I guess it was actually the sub who started it, The same temporary said, who had had the whole week. 
Miss Brownlee was her name. Like Brownie, she told us, except it sounded more like her ancestors just couldn't choose between last names. A nice enough lady, but ditzy, and a rambler, and like all teachers, a huge gossip. You can't walk down the aisles of Fox Ridge for ten seconds without hearing one teacher whispering to another about what's her bucket said to what's her face. Except Miss Brownlee had no one to gossip with, so she confided in us, room 213. She told us everything she knew the minute she showed up that Monday, namely that Miss Bixby was not at home reading novels and sipping tea in her backyard. She was in the hospital, earlier than expected, undergoing a rigorous course of treatment, whatever that meant. And she would likely be there for a while, maybe weeks. I looked over at Brand and saw his face gone white. We were silent for a moment, and then Susan Saunders said, We should make her a card. Miss Brownlee thought that was a great idea. So out came the construction paper and the glue that we hadn't used since the first week of school, and we got to work as a class, making two dozen Get Well Soon cards, complete with self-portraits and really bad poetry. Steve was a little awkward, consisting of a checklist of everything Miss Bixby should and shouldn't eat. Apparently, broccoli was in and fried chicken was out, which made me feel even worse for Miss B. I drew her a picture of scene from The Hobbit. Then we stuffed the cards in a big manila envelope, and after a phone call to the secretary, Miss Brownlee scrawled an address on it. Hospital room number and all. Steve volunteered to carry it down to the front desk. He memorized the address on the way. It's one of his things. When he got back, Miss Brownlee reluctantly started trying to teach us how to divide fractions, but quickly gave up when she realized nobody was paying attention. We were all thinking about Miss Bixby in the hospital and what rigorous treatment meant. And she sent us out to recess early. That's when it happened. The plan. Bran was draped over the monkey bars, looking down at Steve and me through the spaces, both of us sitting in the mulch, throwing pieces of it, trying to get them into each other's collars and down each other's shirts. It's a stupid game and notoriously one-sided, as Steve had terrible aim but the slides were all too crowded and none of us had the energy to play kickball. I had scored my third goal when Bran spoke up. We should go. I looked at Steve, who was emptying the mulch out of his shirt, then back at Bran. To the mall? To the moon? Back to bed? Where are you headed with this, Shakespeare? sometimes called Bran Shakespeare because of the making up words thing. We had to learn a little bit about Bard this year. Namely that he made up words, wrote poems, and was in desperate need of a comb over. To the hospital, Bran said, still talking to us upside down. To see Miss Bixby. I want... He paused licked his lips. 
and took a deep breath. I think it would mean a lot to her if we paid her a visit. I'm not sure they would let us, Steve said, scratching his neck. Not the whole class. I don't mean the whole class, Brand replied, looking out over the playground. I, I mean us, the three of us. The three of us? Steve repeated. It was clear he wasn't too hot on the idea. I don't think it's enough to send her a stupid construction paper card, do you? Bran looked at at me when he said it. Actually, my card was pretty good, I said, thinking about my drawing of Bilbo and his ring. But I knew exactly what Bran meant. It didn't feel like enough to me either. It felt like a shortcut. Just something you do because you feel compelled to do something. Miss B deserved better. Bran flipped down from the monkey bars and joined us in the mulch. I feel like... After everything we've been through this year, we owe her. Don't you? Steve made a face, but I nodded. What do you have in mind? I asked, thinking that it should be the other way around. That Bran should be asking me for ideas. I was the creative one, after all. But he clearly had given some thought to this already. Do you remember a few months back, we had the one prompt on the board with the french fries, the day I called Trevor a butt-zit? I snapped my fingers. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And not just the butt-zit part, though it was hard to forget the look on Trevor's face. Miss Bixby had us write in our journals at least once a week for 15 or 20 minutes. Sometimes we got to write about whatever we wanted, but most of the time she scrawled a prompt on the board for us to respond to. Describe a time when you discovered something surprising about yourself, or tell me about a person you admire. Sometimes they were, would you rather? And sometimes they were just off-the-wall suggestions, like pick a new flower, a flavor of bubblegum that you think nobody would ever want to chew, and then write an ad for it. I picked pickle. I knew exactly which prompt brand was thinking of. It made perfect sense, and it made me a little jealous that I hadn't thought of it first. Do you remember what all she said? Brand asked. I remember, Steve said. Of course you do, I told him. So, Bran prompted, hands out, we could totally do it. The park, the music, all of it, or almost all of it. We could do it this Saturday, surprise her, just the three of us. I nodded, but Steve groaned. Oh, it won't be easy, he said, or cheap. He wasn't saying no, he was just pointing out the potholes. Nothing worth doing is easy, I said, using a Bixbyism against him. Steve leaned against the ladder of the monkey bars, arms crossed, still not convinced. I don't think it's a good idea. Come on, man. We can't do it without you, Bran said. It wouldn't be right. It would be like two musketeers leaving the third one at home to babysit. They were technically, uh, there were four musketeers, Steve said, plus 
what you're suggesting, parts of it, I'm not sure how we could even go about getting some of the stuff. And I don't think my parents... His voice trailed off. And he and Brand stared at each other for a few seconds. Then Brand fell backward into the mulch, arms crossed... Uh, arms across his head. Lame, he groaned. Lay off, Brand, I said. Sorry, Brand said, but it's always the same thing. It's always, I don't think my parents would go for that, or I'm probably not supposed to. Some things are more important than following the rules. Easy for you to say, Steve countered. You don't have to live with them. Brand looked like he was about to say something to that something about what he did have to live with but ultimately he just murmured whatever I looked at Steve sometimes that all that's all it takes I just have to look at him and that would be enough to convince him he's right you know it would be pretty cool if we could pull it off Think about how surprised she would be, and your parents would never have to know. If we could pull it off, Steve repeated, then sighed before saying, But you're right about one thing. You could possibly do it without me. Brand bolted back. So you're in? Steve nodded reluctantly. I, I smiled. He, Sorry, you couldn't possibly do it without me. Brand bolted back. So you're in? Steve nodded reluctantly. I smiled. Brand stared, rubbing his hands together, super villain-like. But only if you can promise that we won't get into any trouble, Steve said. I gave him my Indiana Jones smile. When have we ever gotten you into trouble? Three days ago, he replied. And twice last week. I swear I thought Mrs. Samuelson's dog had an invisible fence. I said, remembering the three of us running like mad down the street. That wannabe ferocious little schnauzer yapping at our heels, threatening to chew Steve's shoes off his feet. We spent the rest of recess making a list of what we needed. Using a pen stolen from Melissa Trotter and Bran's arm as paper... As his forearm filled with ink, I grew more and more amped. It was pretty epic, the plan. Dangerous, yes, and maybe a little illegal, but also fantastic. We went back to our room with the blueprint of how we'd spend the coming Saturday afternoon tattooed all over Bran's arm. Steve frowning, me smiling, and Bran looking serious as ever. Then Bran suddenly stopped in the hall. He was listening to teachers talking, having a whispered conversation outside the room next door. It's getting worse, Mrs. Lamos, one of the fifth grade teachers said. They're transferring her to a new hospital all the way in Boston. She's flying out Saturday morning. She has family there, apparently. God bless her, Mr. Madison said. I just can't imagine. I feel so bad, and for the kids, too. Then he turned and saw the three of us standing there, eavesdropping. Normally, Mr. Madison, 
would as soon rip your head off as you pat uh, off as pat you on it. But this time, he just gave us an awkward look that I could only assume was supposed to be a smile, except his muscles (laughs) didn't know the pattern. He didn't say anything. Bran turned to me. Do you think? He whispered. Yeah. Saturday morning? This Saturday? I know. So now what? He asked. Reinstating me to be to my rightful place as the games maker of our little group. Now, I said, we have to accelerate the plan. Date. Friday, May 7th, time 0738. The raisins are all gone. Over the ridge, the last of the buses spits out a handful of students. I can see Mr. Thornburg, the assistant principal, ushering them inside, face set in the morning scowl. She looks my way, and I duck back behind the bushes. Still no sign of Agent Walker. He's a loose cannon, I say. He's jeopardizing the mission. Steve shakes his head. Cool it with this secret agent act, all right? Fine, I say a little annoyed. Steve usually goes along with whatever scene's playing in my head. He's been paralyzed. He's been a paralyzed soldier, a stranded astronaut, a captured sidekick, a flaxen-haired princess, a zombie shoe salesman, and a raging Wookiee. Of course, he's probably right. Skipping school for the first time ever is exciting enough without me having to pretend. I just can't help it. Comes with having to entertain yourself all the time. I shut up and scan the parking lot looking for any sign of brand while Steve fidgets with the Velcro on his shoes, doing and undoing the same strap over and over. Scritch, fasten. Scritch, fasten. Never known him to wear shoes with laces. Did you know that kids with perfect attendance throughout their primary school years are three times more likely to go on to college than kids who have missed a day or more of school, he tells me. I'm sure he just looked that up this morning. Either that, or it's something his parents told him. Or it's written on his sister's bedroom wall. You already missed three days this year with the flu, I reminded him. I'm just saying, if we go through with this, we dramatically decrease our chances of growing up to be successful, educated adults. I start to say something about all three of us of those things being overrated, especially the adults, when I feel a tap on my shoulder. I spin around, striking what I'm hoping is an intimidating kung fu action hero pose. I've never taken karate, but I've seen enough movies to know how my hands should go. Bran looks at me like I'm nuts. Don't hurt yourself, he says. He's wearing faded blue jeans and a t-shirt with a picture of a scarf-wearing cartoon tiger telling me how great they are. Whoever they are. He crouches down next to us, so we're all hidden behind the bushes. You're late, I tell him. And what's with this? I pointed to his outfit and then the camouflage pants and green t-shirt shirts that Steve and I are both wearing looking like twins whose parents dress them alike except Steve is Japanese and I'm white as a wedding cake. I thought we decided on a uniform. 
I got out of the house late, Bran says, shrugging. And I don't own any camo. Loose cannon, Steve mutters. I can't tell if he's mocking me or not. Steve's sarcasm sounds exactly like his normal voice. Well, did you bring at least some supplies? Bran sets his backpack down and opens it up, pulling out a large picnic blanket, red checkered felt on one side and slick vinyl on the other. There's something wrapped up inside it, something small and delicate, judging by the care he takes in unfolding it. With magician's flourish, he pulls it free. Check it out. He holds up the long-stemmed glass, clear as a raindrop. The morning sun glints off the edge. Ooh, I say, and Steve finishes with an ah. Again, 50-50 chance he's being sarcastic. We're going to need one, right? Brand asks. I nod. Obviously, I hadn't thought of everything. Brand carefully wraps the glass back up in the blanket and stuffs it in his bag. So, we ready to make the call? I take another glance over the hedge. The parking lot is starting to empty out. There's probably still time. We could easily make it to our lockers and then to room 213 and sweet, oblivious Miss Brownlee before the school bell rings. I look at Steve, who shrugs, though I have to guess what he's thinking he's thinking the things look good on somebody's marked up arm don't always turn out good when you put them into practice he's having second thoughts or by this point probably thirds or fourths i get it i'm nervous too but when i think about miss bixby and her magic tricks and her looks and her quotes and that day i found her rooting through the trash the day she showed me what was in her bottom drawer and told me she'd hang on to it forever all right let's do it i say communicator i snap my fingers and steve reluctantly reaches into his pockets and pulled out his phone handing it to bran steve is the only one of us who had a cell phone I technically have one. It's sitting on top of my dresser at home, except it stopped working the moment it accidentally fell into the toilet. I learned an important lesson about trying to pee and play five nights at Freddy's at the same time. My parents said I could have another one as soon as I save up $100 in allowance. I currently have 15 bucks, all of it sitting in the front flap of my backpack. Steve recites the number for the school's front office. Bran dials and clears his throat. But then Steve reaches over and grabs the phone, ending the call. Wait, what about caller ID? Have you seen phones they use in the office? Those things are like 30 years old. Trust me. I take the phone from Steve and hand it back to Bran, who takes a deep breath and hits redial. This time, though... I snatch the phone away, frantically fumbling for the end call button. What now? Bran says. Let me hear your voice, I say. Your grown-up mom with two kids voice. Let me hear your voice, Bran echoes, sounding whiny and irritating. You me 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 with me 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 me. That sounds nothing like my mother, I tell him. So, 
So my mother's on the PTA. She knows everybody in the school. You have to sound like her. How am I supposed to imitate your mother? I don't even remember what she sounds like. She's got like a squeakier voice, like higher pitched. Bran takes the phone back and clears his throat, pretends like he's talking. Hello, this is Miss Wren, Mrs. Wren, and I just wanted to let you know that my annoying and paranoid son, Topher, won't be coming to school today. He has to spend the day giving his good friend Bran a hard time as usual. He gives me a challenging look. Now you just sound like a mad Mickey Mouse. Forget it then, you make the call. Bran tries to hand the phone over, but I push it back. No, I say, impressed. It's perfect. I just realized that my mom sounded like that. Bran dials the number again, and this time we actually let him talk. He lets the front desk know that I won't be coming in today. Stomach bug. Then he waits three minutes and 30 seconds, which Steve says is just random enough, and calls again, this time as Steve's dad which is easier for him because the voice is lower. Bran hands the phone back to Steve. Done. What about you? I called from home. He says it like it's no big deal, like he's done it before. Sometimes I get the impression that there are lots of things Bran doesn't tell us. From across the parking lot, we hear the school bell ring. The last stragglers shuffle inside for seven hours of menial worksheet completing and sweaty gym socks smelling. But not us. We are on a mission. A pilgrimage. A quest. This is it. We're officially skipping school, Steve says. Now he looks like he might spew. I'm sure he's thinking about what will happen if his parents find out. They won't really kill him, but they will torture him. That I am certain of. Don't worry, agent, I tell him. I promise I won't let them take you alive.